Peace to you and welcome back to the Naked Truth. Thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off. We've made it to a new book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And that's the book of 1 Samuel. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with chapter 1. And I'm going to warn you now, there are lots of ethnic names in this um, chapter, just like others. So if I mispronounce them, please forgive me. Here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Now there was a man, certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. So it's basically giving us the breakdown of who we're talking about here, uh, although we haven't gotten a name yet. Uh, verse 2, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. I'm sorry, I guess they did give us the name. His name was Elkanah, sorry. Verse 2, and he, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So right there we see a modern Bible thumper's folly. that They say, oh, marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. Well, obviously not. You can't use the Bible to keep backing up that lie because here again we see one man with two wives and that's nothing new we've seen where at least according to the narrative one man has had hundreds of wives and that's not even the last time that that's going to be mentioned in the bible so just one more example of how religion will make a lie very popular but it's still a lie so anyway he's got two wives one who's had kids and one who has not Verse 3, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So, um, first let's look and see what Lord is being translated from in this instance, since now it's saying Lord of hosts. That's sort of new. It usually just says Lord or Lord in all caps. And here it is, Lord in all capitals. And it's translated from the name Jehovah. But when it says of hosts, that seems to be a new addition that we haven't really read much of previously um, in the previous books of the Bible. But it is does seem to be still referring to Jehovah still. And now it's also introducing other characters, some of the priests who are active in that time and his sons. And they're going to play a more prominent role as we keep reading from my memory. Um, let's see. Verse 4, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. Um, so Peninnah's apparently fruitful. She's had lots of kids from Elkanah, whereas Hannah has not. And so um, he'd give portions, presumably to make offerings when they go to make the offering when they go up to see the priests um, to her kids verse 5 but to Hannah he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah although the Lord had closed her womb so the narrator here seems to be giving the um, the uh, seems to be putting the fact that Hannah is barren at least so far on the Lord saying that that's the reason that she hasn't had any kids and that seems to reinforce the idea that we've read from the beginning Genesis that the Lord seems to be very focused on human reproduction um, and intervening in that and working with that and prophesying about that and blocking that throughout the different stories we've read that that's been the case and we've seen that um, for whatever reason the Lord seems very interested in 
the genitals of humans, whether it's the surgery that Adam underwent when Eve was produced, or whether it's the genital mutilation, as people like to overlook in modern times, they like to only call the transgender surgeries uh, genital mutilation, but they overlook the fact that circumcision, that's genital mutilation. It's for religious reasons, but it's the same thing. And um, people overlook the fact that the children who get that have no choice in it, whereas at least when transgender children or parents of children who believe they're transgender um, do genital mutilation, quote-unquote, or those actually what they are, gender-affirming surgeries, at least then the child is consenting to it, the parents are consenting to it. Uh, when it comes to circumcision, the child has no say in it. It's done before the child can even talk. Um, and yet, one is completely accepted as normal, the other is uh, debated politically. But like I said before, it's nothing more than religion working with politics or government to keep the head and eyes of people's attention turned a certain way. And it's sad, but it's the reality that's been happening since the Bible days, probably before, and absolutely still in modern times. So back to this. Verse, um, because Hannah had no kids, he'd give her extra for her um, offerings um, since she was barren. Verse 6, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So um, the narrator here, it seems to be... Um, pronouncing a rivalry between Hannah and Peninnah because one was barren and one was fruitful and um, saying that the fruitful one, Peninnah, would uh, provoke the barren one. Sort of like rubbing it in her, rubbing it in her face that um, she hasn't had any kids. And I guess the rub would be the fact that she she's probably saying things like, oh, we're only good for one thing. That's why he's married to you. Whereas at least Panetta's able to have kids. So when her husband hooks up with her, she's having kids to show, have something to show for it. Whereas uh, Hannah is basically doing the same thing a streetwalker would do, a paid woman would do, a prostitute would do. She's just there for sex because she's not having any kids from him. So that would be where the mocking, the rivalry, the shame quote-unquote, would come in for it because the reproach, I should say, that's how they um, uh, phrase it in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New as that's what um, they call it, uh, the reproach of being un, um, of being barren. Verse 7, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So it must have really hurt her feelings that she's they're both married to the same man, but only one of them's having kids from him. So that probably lets it makes everybody think or believe, well, there must be a problem with you. Since it can't be him, he's getting her pregnant left, right, and sideways, but you aren't having any kids. Um, so that probably hurt her feelings. The fact that that was obvious to everyone. It'd be different if she was the only wife. Then people would at least wonder, well, maybe it's him. But since he has more than one wife and one of them is very fruitful, it makes it clear that it's Hannah's issue. Verse 8, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So her husband is trying to comfort her, saying, Don't worry about it that you haven't had any kids. I'm treating you better than ten sons would treat you. And um, 
sort of overlooking and the past the fact that he has another wife that's having plenty of kids from him. Verse 9, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Eli is the priest at that time in that area, and he's nearby. Um, verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So she's really torn up about the fact that she hasn't had any kids from her husband, whereas her rival is constantly throwing it up in her face that she's got plenty of kids from him. Verse 11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she's um, vowing, making a vow, a promise, in other words, to the Lord that if she's blessed with children, a singular male child, if she's blessed to have a son, um, then she's not going to keep him for herself. She's going to dedicate him to the religion. She's going to dedicate him to service of the Lord. Um, and so she's made that vow. And not only that, she's included the part at the end of that verse about no razor on his head, the same sort of vow, uh, same sort of arrangement that Samson that we read about previously had, the vow of a Nazarite, that there have certain things they're supposed to do and avoid under their uh, religious dedication to the service of the Lord. So that's what she's made a vow with um, in that moment. Verse 12, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. So she's praying um, privately, but Eli the priest is watching her and seeing her uh, lips move but not hearing any words. Verse 13, Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So the priest, being kind of nosy, um, is paying attention to what she's doing and since he's not hearing any words coming forth from her but does see her lips moving he assumes and since they've already eaten and drunk that she must be drunk verse 14 so Eli said to her how long will you be drunk put your wine away from you <laughs> so just like that just like people like to do assuming the wrong thing worried about the wrong thing is assume that she must be drunk and is admonishing her to get away from the booze, to leave the liquor alone, to stop drinking, and ask her how long is she going to be drunk. <laughs> Verse 15, But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. So she's correcting him, letting him know, No, she's not sitting up boozing it up. She's in sorrow of spirit. She's got a broken heart about the condition her life is in <clears throat> excuse me and she's saying she's um bearing her soul to god and that's what she's in that's what she's sitting there uh in anguish over verse 16 do not consider your maid servant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief i've spoken until now so she's saying don't um um don't think badly of her at the by the fact that she's quietly um going and pouring out her heart in anguish and um 
She's saying because up until now, all she's done is whine and, and complain about the fact that she's miserable and doesn't have any kids from her husband. So she's saying, so don't be mad. Don't hold it against her now that she's being quiet in her complaints and in her grief. And one other thing about we move before we move on from this verse, some ver- some versions of the Bible may um, say instead of wicked woman, it'll say daughter of Belial. So just like we've read previously where um, it says son of Belial, um, the sort of modern day translation of that would be sons of bees. Um, so in this case, she's saying don't consider her to be a daughter of a bee. Don't consider her to be some sort of um, scoundrelous woman. Instead, she's just in anguish. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, sorry, the verse jumped there. Um, okay, verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. So now, just like that, Eli has switched it up. He's realized, oh, okay, so she's not drunk. So um, in that case, God help you. Go in peace, and God grant you what it is you're seeking. And God here is being translated in this capital G, from the word Elohim with the lowercase e. Um, yet it's still capital G for God. Just something to consider. Um, and so in this case, Eli has switched it up and he's asking, he's basically in agreement with her for her prayer that, okay, well, since you aren't drunk, then God bless you and God give you what it is you're praying for. Verse 18, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So she's feeling encouraged by the fact that at least the priest now at least doesn't think she's a drunken slob, um, but instead agreed with her in her prayer um, that she gets what it is she's asked for in prayer. Verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So, when it says knew her, it means they had sex. And um, apparently, the Lord was listening to her prayer. In this case, the fact that she was miserable and in anguish and poured out her heart over the whole matter. And maybe the fact that it was also in relation to an offering being made and that they were at the um, at the holy place, whatever the case may be. Now she's getting what it is she prayed for. Verse 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. So she got her prayer answered. She got pregnant and had a child. And Samuel um, translates to heard by God. So um, that's why she's given him that name. Because she believes now her prayer was heard and she got what it is she was praying for. Verse 21, Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. So that's um, what we read previously that um, certain times a year men are required to show up to the house of the Lord wherever it ends up being and make their offering. And that they're not to show up empty-handed. So we read about that previously. It's for the enrichment of the religion. Uh, that's the actual purpose. Whatever the religious reason is. That's what it ends up being. Verse 
Um, so he's gone up for his yearly sacrifice and his vow. Verse 22, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So when she somehow weaned, she means breastfeeding. She's going to wait till she's done breastfeeding the child, till he's gotten old enough that he doesn't need that or seek that. And then she says after that, when it's time to go up to the to the temple or to the tabernacle to the, the to the holy place once he goes up then she's like that's then he's going to go up and that's going to be it he's going to be their properties he's going to be after that from then on dedicated to the religion verse 23 so Elkanah her husband said to her do what seems best to you wait until you've weaned him only let the Lord establish his word then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she'd weaned him so Elton is like, okay, cool. You can just keep him back then. Whatever you think is best, um, God's will be done. And he's probably kind of laissez-faire about that, hands-off about that, because he's already got other sons and daughters from his other wife. So the fact that Hannah, even though Hannah's the one he loves, um, reminds me of the pat patriarchs before him that had one wife he loved but had other women who he impregnated and had children from. Um similarly he's got Hannah who he loves who's now giving him a son after she was barren for so long um so he's doesn't seem to mind he's saying okay keep him until he's done breastfeeding um do what you think is best God's will be done verse 24 now when she had weaned him she took him up with her with three bulls one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young so now Samuel's grown up some now because he's not breastfeeding anymore. That's what wean means. So she's taking him up for um, to the house of the Lord with the offering required. Or um, probably even an extra offering, the three bulls and the flour and the skin of wine. And again, that's not to all be burnt, even though they're called burnt sacrifices. They're to be offered and the priests get enriched by them. The religion gets enriched by them. A memorial portion is offered to the Lord. The rest becomes the property of the priest. So you can imagine if one person's offering three bulls and there's a, thousands of people offering the bulls, the religion, the priests have plenty of property, plenty of, plenty of money, plenty of resources because everyone's required to show up and make that offering. Similar to the way churches are run in modern times of all sorts of different religions. They're required to show up. The congregants are required to show up and expected to, even if they don't say it, require, it's required. They're expected to bring offerings with them. Uh, so when the basket gets passed around, you're expected to put something in it. And in some cases, some of the churches will even call you out if you don't or not even let you in if you don't have anything to bring. It's scandalous, but... They probably thump their Bible and say it's righteous. That's what you're required to do. Bring something. If you don't, don't show up. But Jesus didn't reaffirm any of that. That's not the kind of uh, worship Jesus calls for at all. So one more way to separate Christianity from other religion and from religion in general and absolutely from everything else in the Bible. Verse 25, then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. So, um... One of the bulls is slaughtered. That doesn't mean the other two are. And um, and then they took the child to Eli, meaning they've offered Samuel also, um, just like she promised, made that vow before she got pregnant. Um, 
she's fulfilling it. Verse 26, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. So she's calling to mind for Eli that moment when he thought she was drunk. but was actually just um, in misery and praying. She's saying, I'm that same woman. Verse 27, for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. So she's reminding him that she prayed for that child and that that's why she was in misery. And now she's gotten what she asked for, what she prayed for, what he was in agreement, even if he didn't realize it, what he was in agreement for when she was praying for it. And now it's happened. She got her prayer answered. Verse 28, therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. So she's um, letting him know that now her child Samuel is his, is Eli's. He's now going to be a part of the religion. He's been dedicated like you vow a cow, a bull, the flower, the wine. She's dedicated her son, her only son, her only child apparently, to the religion as a vow and fulfilling her vow by giving him to them um and that was the last verse in this chapter so that's where we'll end this reading as always i hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and i hope you'll join me again i love you and i'll see you next time peace be with you